When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jared Stansberry, joined as always by my friend, former Iowa State running back, Jeff Woody. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm doing exceptionally well because we were kind of doing a little pre-prep for the show, just kind of talking. And the realization happened that come Saturday... We are two weeks from football season. Mm -hmm. Saturday plus, so this Saturday, we're recording this on Monday. This Saturday is the last week without college football. Yep. Because Nebraska, you said, starts the first in week zero. Yeah. And then Iowa State starts in week one. So Nebraska play, it kicks off a week from Saturday. So we are, we are so, we're there. We made it. The problem is we're like in, for us, we're like in the dog days of camp. You know, like it's it's full week number two. They got the pads on. Like you're starting to get some information from some scribbages and things like that. So you're like ready for a game. In Lincoln, they're literally playing a game next week. You know, like they're in the like thick of it. It's like, man, yeah. we're we're right at the end. We're ready to go. Like fall camp is about over. For us, it's like, man, they're still a week out from even starting to consider their Southeast Missouri prep. And it's like just trying to get as many tidbits as we can, you know. So yeah, for us, as far as an episode, so to you, listener, we have some information, um, but a lot of the information that we have is like, some, you've seen some of it, you've heard some of it. And so like Jared was saying, like at this point in camp, so this is another thing just for, for insider's perspective, there's usually like two or three phases of camp and it's not like they officially plan this out, but it just kind of happens. Uh, it's sort of like phases in a relationship. You don't go like, And we are serious now. Like it just sort of happens to get to that. So the first part of camp is uh, usually is kind of getting everybody back from summer, which they haven't been off for probably too long, but they were only off for like 10 days between summer training and, and, and fall camp. But they come back in, make sure everybody's in shape. And then they're kind of assessing what pieces do we want to even start trying to find to fill. So like phase one is who are our, who are our guys that are performing the best? You know, like who is, I always come back to a few, like it was Orion Vance's, I think sophomore year and he was just balling out and he wasn't set to start because there was a bunch of guys that were above him, but he was so good in the first few weeks of camp that they're like, okay, well we have to find some schematic way to get this guy on the field. So like phase one is sort of identifying like, who are your ballers? Like who are the guys that came out of, who came out of camp or are just, 
over spring ball or whatever, who have developed into your gamers, the guys that really are performing. And then kind of the next phase of that is, okay, well, can we put these guys together? So can we get in that example, can we get Orion Vance on the field at the same time with Mike Rose and Marcel Spears? And can this work? Like, can we, and you start kind of mixing and matching different lineups and you start saying, how do we get this guy in the field or whatever? And then the third phase is you try and sharpen all that down. Once you found the ballers of who you actually want to play, what then combinations work and can you actually get them in a lineup that fits? And then you start to sharpen things down. We're probably like, phase two going into phase three at this point, like they've identified who they like. And we, there are some guys that kind of stick out and we've heard a good amount of those, but as far as like, what is the team going to look like? We're not sure yet because I mean, even us, if we were to go watch one or two practices, which realistically that's all we'd maybe be able to get, you can see guys that stick out, but you can't really see what the team is going to become just yet because they are still a couple weeks out. So I don't know. It's, it is a, it's fun to hear who the guys that are absolutely like, who are really rising to the top of like, how we got to get this guy on the field or these guys are who we want to start building schemes off of. It's fun to hear those things, but we're not quite to the point where we can go, this is what's going to happen. Or we, we have a good feeling, or this is what they're, you know, this schedule or whatever. So um, it's a, yeah, we're, we're close. We're there. Football season's going to happen, but we're not quite on black and white just, just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still a lot of moving pieces, I think, with things. But uh, a couple guys that I know have stood out, some things I'll throw out there for you to react to. Uh, First things first, it sounds like the wide receivers have been what they were hoping they would be uh, coming into this season. I know know, we've obviously talked a ton about X. We've talked quite a bit about what Jalen Knoll can do. But I think they've been really happy with what they've seen from uh, Daniel Jackson who's coming off some injuries, Darren Wilson coming off some injuries. Uh, Sean Shaw has been banged up for a lot of his career. It sounds like all those guys are really fully healthy and playing some good ball right now. And the Colorado transfer. I was just going to say, and I keep hearing good things about Dimitri Stanley, who sound, who it sounds like brings a little bit of a different dynamic to that room with elite speed and maybe a guy who can really, I mean, we, you know, stretching the field is the thing that's like the buzzword right now with, with Iowa State football. It's are they going to stretch the field vertically? But it sounds like he's the kind of guy who can make some plays in that area. I mean, I think that they've got a, a handful plus of wide receivers that they feel really confident that they could throw out there on the field and they would be able to get something done for him on a Saturday. Which it's it's a good thing, I think, because that suits Hunter, you know, and yeah. like read the tea leaves a little bit and. I think you, I mean, I read your column on the tight ends and it was really good column, but it seems like there's a lot of, you know, they're, they say they're going to keep with their competitive advantage that they have. But then when you ask them about who's standing out, it's the wide receivers, the first ones that come to stand out. And so this staff is known for making their schemes match their personnel. And so kind of what we were thinking back in, you know, immediately, like once the, once we found out who all was going to go to the NFL or who all was going to you know, quit playing or whatever, you kind of have a ballpark idea of what the roster is going to look like next year. And immediately then I think us, and we're not the only ones thinking it, but us and anyone who kind of looks at it through the lens of get your best players in the field thought that this is probably going to be a little bit more wide open of an offense and them being so high on their wide receivers kind of says that's going to be true. Now that might not be, and they might really like just the matchups of getting X and Jalen Knoll and then Dimitri Stanley and getting them more one-on-one by using these more clustered setups, like using the three, two or three tight ends or a tight end and Jared Russ or whatever. You can get all these tight formations to get more one-on-one opportunities. And maybe they like that. And that's what's going on. We're not sure. But like, to me, when you hear all of the wide receivers that they're praising and it kind of comes off pretty naturally, it feels like they'd be leaning more towards having Deckers slang that thing a little bit more than what we've seen in the past, which is, again, I think is going to be really fun. And I think that's what the skill set of this group is probably more towards. One thing I will throw out there about those tight ends is I feel like they're, it's still a talented room. Like you've got some good potential from those guys. It's just really inexperienced. This feels almost like a bridge year for that room where you've got, you know, you've got Tyler Moore, who's a redshirt freshman. And then I've heard some really good things about Gabe Burkle and Andrew Keller, two true freshmen that have come in in this class. Like you look at those three guys and you're like, man, that room is set up to be pretty good here. And plus Easton Dean in the future, plus Easton Dean and East and Easton's a, a redshirt junior, I think. And then I think uh, Deshaun Hanika is a redshirt junior as well. So it's like uh, there, I don't know how big of an impact that group is going to make, you know, as far as 
catches and like getting yards receiving and things like that. But I think they've got some guys they feel really comfortable about. And like I said, I will say I've heard really good things about that Gabe Burkle and Andrew Keller, that those guys might've been even better than what they anticipated them being. But I will, and I, even though I asked Taylor Mazzo this during their interview last week, I was like, man, the idea of true freshmen playing at that position the last several years would have been pretty inconceivable when you had Charlie and Chase and Dylan Sainer and all those guys, but could those guys get on the field? And he said that they, they could, if they do the right things now, would that be in the offense or would it be on special teams where they've shown a propensity to play their true freshmen that they feel like are ready to get on the field? Like, I don't know, but uh, I do think that they feel good about the direction of that room. I just don't know if that room is ready right now to be a featured piece of the offense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you only have, I mean, let's say this offense does in, in situation one, they, the offense kind of morphs open to be that spread more spread. And, and, and to be fair, I don't think, I mean, Iowa state is not going to be TCU in a day. Like they're mm-hmm. not going to be four wide receivers slinging everything all the way down the field. Cause Jared Russ, like you look at your best 11, Jared Russ is one of your best 11, no questions. So how do you get him in an offensive set? Okay, that's automatically, whether you count him as a tight end or a fullback, that's automatically running back plus him. So you really get three wide receivers that you can do something with if you don't want to put a tight end in there to kind of offset where Jared's going to be. I got a question about Jared Russoff, something Taylor Mazur said about him. He said that t- Jared had never taken an indi- like an indie rep until his junior year. Why would that be? At tight end? Yeah. Because he was with the running backs. Yeah. Okay. But still, like, he, if he wasn't taking, why would they not give him individual reps? Because he's a walk on. Is it like one of those things? It's like you got to work your way into getting the indie reps. No, nah, individual. Like you're, you're always indie reps. You're always there. It's just he was with the running backs because, like, so the relationship. He was playing fullback, and like he still does, like H back or whatever you want to call yeah. him. His primary responsibility is his fullback, and like you and your tailback, it's like a seeing eye dog for a human who's lost their sight that's the relationship tightness that you kind of got to have. Now, yeah. granted, you're not saying that uh, a running back is blind, but like <laughs> if the relationship between the fullback and the running back has to be that if you're going in this direction, I have to be, if I'm too close to you, then I don't give you room to actually do your work. But if I'm too far from you, you're going to hit someone, but it's going to get swallowed up. Like you're kind of smacking the water. It, it covers your hand. So like the relationship has to be really like, two or three yards on the money every single time. And so you need to work that a lot to make sure that you have a relationship with your fullback and know the distance and spacing and his pace and your pace and how everything goes on. So like, you're going to put him with the running backs to make sure that your running backs are comfortable with whatever his pace is and that he knows what the running backs want. So like, it kind of makes sense. If you have Charlie and chase, you don't need him to do tight end stuff. Cause you got mm-hmm. the two, the two best tight ends in the conference on the same roster in the same position group. And then Easton Dean can do some other stuff. And Deshaun Hanneke can do some other stuff. You put him with the fullback or with the running back so he can get that relationship over there. Now that they have, they don't have Charlie and they don't have Chase, you might need him to do more true tight end stuff. So then you can take him over. Because I don't think there was one snap last year where his hand was on the line of scrimmage. I think he was always off the line of scrimmage. And because you'd always have Chase or Charlie, that's going to be the down hand. So he's always going to be off line of scrimmage. So he's probably not ever taken an on the line of scrimmage snap, which is a little bit different. Like your hand placement's different, your timing's different, your steps are way more important when you get there. So it's uh, it makes sense that that's the case from I last that year. Was interesting. Yeah, I just thought that was yeah. interesting. I, I had never, I had not heard anybody say that about him. I didn't, uh, so I was wanted some clarification. But uh, all right, speaking of the running backs, still a lot of buzz about Cartavius Norton. Uh, it sounds like the true freshman has come in and uh, continues to make it make uh, a solid impression. I'll read you a quote from Nate Shieldhouse about Cartavius. Uh, I asked Nate what Cartavius had done to uh, impress the staff to this point. And he said, quote, run really hard through people's faces. That's probably the best way to describe what he's done. And we haven't se- haven't been live yet, but that's probably a good thing in a reverse way. I think there are some defenders that are glad we haven't had to be live against that dude because he runs hard, man. He's not afraid to run through somebody. I think that makes everybody excited. That was uh, last week during our interviews that we did with uh, Coach Shieldhouse. What's your reaction to Cartavius Norton loves to run through people's faces? It's a man after my own heart. (laughs) Uh, The thing that that tells me, 
is if they're not even in full pads and that's the thing that's going on, that dude's motor is running at a thousand percent the entire practice. And that is terrific for a running back. So like, is that terrifying as a, as a defensive player? You're like, uh, man, they're going to give the ball to Cartavius and I don't got all my pads on. Uh, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like you, you olay that a little bit. Like, uh, all right, I'm going to stand in front of you. There's kind of an understanding like in shells, you know, like with just helmets and shoulder pads, like they're, yeah. they tell you you're supposed to fit them up and whatever. But like at the same time, you're like, man, this is, it's August 10th. Like we got a long ways to go. I'm not about to get a dislocated shoulder cause you're going hard. So like there's this sort of mutual understanding that like, I'm not going to hit you really hard. You're not going to hit me really hard. We're going to get it. We're going to know what this collision is supposed to be. And then yeah. back off just a little bit. And he's coming in and he is disregarding that rule completely. So I bet there's a lot of defenders that do give him a little bit of like the, the matador in the ring, just the, Hey, hey okay. All right. There you go, buddy. Yeah. There you go, buddy. So that's, uh, it, it is fun to see. And I think it's going it, to, with a guy like that, it's going to take him a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, by a little bit, I mean like a little bit, like one or two games of playing to get a good sense that when the opponent, because in a game, you're not going in practice, you're going harder than the defense because in that situation, you know, like we saw what happened with Jalen Warren and Mike Rose last year. Yeah. Mike Rose got a, a stinger or like a hurt his shoulder because Jalen Warren was running really, really hard. Think that for when you hear him run through people's faces, it's Jalen Warren. Like that's the guy. And so he's going that hard in practice. A defensive player is going to make a business decision and go, not that important. But when you get into a game, the opponent doesn't do that. Not that important. They go, Oh, you're bringing boxing gloves. I'm going to bring a baseball bat. Like they're coming to meet you as hard as you can. And so in practice, you're going to be, I mean, in scrimmages, you kind of get it too. Cause like the opponent, your defense in a, in a true scrimmage situation is actually going to meet you in the same physicality, but like in a game, it's a different level of, of adrenaline and juice and you're going to be hitting. And so like the, the Iowa game is going to hit him hard because he's not going to be used to the opponent, like matching his intensity. Yeah. But, a, but a dude who's got that gear and can practice at that gear is going to figure it out really fast. Like that, all this talk that, it, that the, co excuse me, that the coaching staff has been kind of pumping up with Cartavius Norton. Well, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear it? It's a lot like Brees Hall. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we, I mean, what happened with Brees in his first season Right. It took what, like six games for him to really get like a sense of, all right, how's, yeah. how's the pace got to work? How does contact feel? How do, how much shimmy do I have to like all these things that are, you know, what does it look like to actually do this job? I would imagine that's going to be similar. Now, granted, we're, again, we're not saying he's going to be Brees Hall. Brees Hall is the bet, probably the best running back. If not, it, it's him and Troy. He's, and that's he's top two at the very minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he might not be number two, but we'll, right. that's a different discussion. So you, we're not saying that Cartavius Norton is going to be Brees Hall, but it, I feel like this season will could have could have the potential to do that mm -hmm. if he figures it out in the same way that Brees did, and if someone like Deion Silas, but more importantly, if Jirel Brock is oh is only okay, you know, like if you got a guy on the bench in basketball that when he comes in, he's the seventh guy off the bench. He comes in, he drops thirteen in like nine minutes. And you're like, okay. Let's put him as the, the first guy off the bench. Then he drops 18 in 15 minutes. And then you put in the starting lineup and he drops 26. And you're like, okay, well, we should probably keep this guy on the floor. It's not that anybody else was doing a bad job. It's just that guy was balling hard. Yeah. But if if he's playing point guard, if that guy's a point guard and this the, the point guard you have is also dropping 28 and pushing out 10 dimes, like, okay, well, we still got to keep him on the bench just because the guy in front of him is balling. So like Jairo Brock in this situation is the point guard on the floor. If Cartavius Norton is balling, but he is also balling, like he'll stay on and Cartavius is just going to have to figure it out as he goes. But if Jairo Brock is just okay throughout the season and Cartavius is starting to figure it out, then you might see a switch uh, throughout the season. And again, Deion Silas says the same thing, but I feel like using basketball bench players as a reference, I feel like Deion Silas is going to have that Tyrus McGee role yeah. where like, you're going to love seeing him on the field, but his best, at least now. And again, we might be wrong. Cause like Deuce Vaughn is an every down back and Deuce Vaughn and Deion Silas are really similar in the way they play. So like, I think that Deion Silas's best role is that Tyrus McGee first off the bench. You're going to, he's going to get 
10 to 12, up. Yeah. He's got 10 to 12 touches a game. It doesn't even have to be all third down, but like he gets a drive and it's just, I mean, like, wow, this guy is flying over the place. All then right. you put power back in. So like, I feel like Jirel and Gartavius, and again, Eli Sanders is still this kind of X factor guy in the middle. Those are Brock and, and Norton are, are the two guys that have stood out as the ones that are doing the most to get the primary predominant work. So <laughs> and again, I think it's on Jairo Brock to keep his job, but a lot of the pub has been with Cartavius Norton to say he's really good, which reminds us of Brees Hall. And we saw what happened with Brees Hall. So can Jairo Brock avoid being Sheldon Crony? That quote from Nate, I actually heard something last night. Uh, when my, uh, when David Montgomery was announced as a member of the NFL top 100 list applause for David, uh, number 98 on the list, his first appearance of his career, uh, going into year number four, but they interviewed Mike Daniels, former, former Iowa Hawkeye. Now I think with the green Bay Packers, uh, and they were asking him what makes David so hard. And he kept saying, he said this over and over during this like 10 minute segment about David Montgomery. He said, you got to bring the thump. And then the rap and then the tackle. You can't just bring the thump because he's not going down. You can't just bring the rap because he's not going down. You can't just bring the tackle because he's not going down. You got to bring the thump, the rap, and the tackle. And he kept saying it over and over and over again. I was like, man, I think with Cartavius Norton, maybe you got to bring the thump, the rap, and the tackle too. You know, the way it sounds like if he's running through people's faces like this. TWT? Is that a nickname? Cartavius TWT? There you go. Rap tackle? Yeah. Yeah. Thump wrap tackle. Uh, yeah, that's the, uh, that running back room is intriguing. Cause I feel like they've got four different guys who have very different skill sets that can all do something different. You know, like I think that that yeah. group could end up being pretty fun to, to follow throughout the year. Uh, and I think just before we move off the running backs, I, I mean, I'm not going to let you just get off the running back soon. Uh, the, the other thing that's really nice, again, using the situation as if there's going to be a more three wide receiver sets and less three tight end sets, uh, who is the best blocking back that Iowa State has had in five years? Jairo Brock. Jairo he is Brock, the best. Yeah. He is the best pass blocker. He is the guy. If it was third and seven or longer, in pretty much any situation, unless you're throwing it to him, uh, Jairo Brock was on the field because he was the best pass blocker. He understand understands the schemes better. He fits everybody better. He follows. So like thump wrap tackle, the offensive equivalent that is you have to pop and then sit down and move your feet. So like everybody tries to do that one, you know, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can, but then a defensive player gets used to that shock and they can just get right back to the quarterback. So you have to hit them and then sit back down and shuttle, like shuffle your feet. And he does that better than anybody. So if there's an offense, it's going to be predicated around throwing it. And whether we're throwing it to Demetri Stanley down the field, whether they're throwing it to X or Jalen Knoll or whatever, you might need time for that. And who are the two uh, who you have gyro Brock and Jared Russ that are able to provide additional time for those things. So it, the offense, I think, there are a lot of things that are are leaning towards it being successful, but successful is going to be very different than what it has been in the past. So I, it's, it is going to be really interesting because of just the personnel that they have. It kind of lends itself to being good at a different thing. All right. Let's talk about the defensive line then here for uh, just a minute. We talked about this uh, previously, but the, re the battle to replace any at the opposite offensive or defensive line position opposite of uh, Will McDonald. Um, Sounds like that competition is starting to take some shape. Uh, Eli Rashid did mention that, or was it Matt Campbell? One of them mentioned during one of their interviews that J.R. Singleton was in the battle at that position. J.R. had played nose guard last season behind Isaiah Lee, but it sounds like he's maybe shifted outside to that spot where where any was playing, which is interesting, different kind of body type than uh, I think what you know we've maybe gotten used to at that position. But then... Uh, Brady Peterson and uh, Joey Peterson are a couple other guys that I think have been tossed into that conversation. Unrelated. Well, first, first of all, what do you think of, of, uh, of J.R. Singleton moving outside? What, what are your feelings on that on that move? I really like it because, I mean, that is the position that Eni Iwazarike played. And we forget how freaking big that guy is yeah. because he was such a good pass rusher. But Eni Iwazarike was 6'6", 335. Like, that's a huge human. And I think the way that this the defense has sort of morphed into is they have a rush end and they have more of a 
uh, kind of hold your ground in. And I know they have got a different name for him. I just don't know what that name is. They call him, but... I, they call him the field side end, I think. Okay. So I don't know if they actually true do a boundary in a field, like if they do rotate or not, but yeah. there's more of a stout player and more of a speed player. And they kind of have that balance now. And so any played that more stout guy, like that's the position that he played. And so really what that position is, is you're predominantly a, like, the equivalent of a three technique. That guy is is less defensive end and more defensive tackle who lines up a little farther outside. So he's more of a three technique, which is where a big body like any Wazirike or J.R. Singleton naturally kind of fits, which allows then the run defense to hold up. Because if you had two Will McDonald's, Will is awesome. And he's really good at holding up against the run. But if you had two of them, that's a lot of the offensive line just has more mass. Like you're going to end up being able to move and more like physical push you out of the way strength. So by having another bigger guy there, you have, you get sort of the benefit of having a three technique and a nose tackle of just eating up bodies and being able to move. But if that guy can also be a pass rusher in some form or fashion, like any didn't, his pass rush move was a really good bull rush. Like that's what he would do is he would just get under your shoulder pads and walk you backwards. But because he was so good at a bull rush that you're, you do have to be concerned with him as a sack or as a potential sack threat. So if he's good enough as a pass rusher, but his, his primary job can be to eat bodies like any did, then that frees up will to do more stuff that he wants to do. So it is kind of interesting because the, 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 it was Zach Peterson that was sort of in spring ball listed as the primary starter. Well, he's a body like will like they're air quotes, small air quotes. He's still like six, four, two, fifty. Brady Peterson. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. He said Zach. Sorry. Yeah. Brady. So yeah, he's there. There's still Peterson's or Blake yeah. Peterson, man. There's too many damn Peterson's man. Gosh, dang. We lost one. We got another, but like there's, there's, you have a smaller body, Air, again, air quotes, relative to 6'4", 330, smaller than that. When you have a small body at Will McDonald, you if you have another small body over there, the run defense gets a lot harder to do. And so it's I would imagine that's the reason why they wanted to move somebody bigger or potentially find somebody bigger out there. The other thing that says, if they're willing to take J.R. Singleton out of the nose tackle position, because big boys, the amount of power that that position has to generate, even the most in-shape defensive tackle is probably only going to be playing 50 to 60% of all snaps. Like right. if you are playing more than that, then you don't have depth. And that guy's going to get a lot, it's going to get really tired because like for those of you that exercise or weightlift at all, like imagine doing a max effort deadlift every minute for an hour and a half. Like that's what that position more or less does. So like you have to get him off the field just to give him a break because that's so much power you have to exert out of that position. So you need to have a backup. So if you're moving your backup, the guy who is presumed to be the backup out to be potentially a starter at another position, the guy behind him has to be good enough to fill that. So that's what it says to me that Howard Brown is doing a really good job at like just being competent enough that you can spell uh, Isaiah Lee if you move J.R. Singleton out of the way. So it says that Singleton's doing a good job. It also says that Howard Brown is doing a good job. So those are kind of the guys um, from the defensive line that are sort of standing out. And that might mean that the Petersons serve as the spell players for both defensive ends, you know, which depending on which side they move, which Peterson to. All right. So I will say some other guys at that nose guard position too. You mentioned Howard Brown, but I've heard Dom orange, the six foot four, 350 pound true freshman from Kansas city. Uh, it sounds like he big has kid. been, yeah, it sounds that like they really like kid. what they've seen with him. He can really move for being six, five, six, whatever, six, four, 350 pounds. Like, different kind of player from what Iowa state has had at that position in the past, from what I understand. Uh, but then I think it is interesting. You, you talk about the size of those guys, you know, a guy like Blake Peterson, six, four, two sixty, Joey Peterson is six, four, two thirty eight. And then J.R. Singleton, six, two, 300, like just almost not even hardly even comparable. Yeah. So Joey, sizes. Joey Peterson, that was the one he's probably, he and will are the most similar body types. Cause will is probably what six, four, two forty, two two thirty five. Will is and, listed at where's his where's his name at here? Will is listed at six three two thirty six. So yeah, yeah so just about the same. Pretty but pretty similar. And so in order for Joey Peterson, because he's that is Zach's brother. And so yeah. in in order for you have like those guys are explosive dudes. And so that 
I would imagine Joey and Will are going to be the guys that spell each other because they're the most similar to do the role that's necessary for that position in the defense. So you then put the guy who replaces any to be J.R. Singleton, who is a huge human who's also pretty agile. And you've got then a more balanced look as opposed to putting Joey on one side at 235 and Will on the other side at 235 and then hoping that your defensive tackle is going to be doing a lot. So, yeah, I would imagine that they're going to have a bigger body play that other defensive end spot. And it seems like J.R. Singleton would be a natural fit to slide in there. Now, we could be wrong. And well, Joey throw- Peterson might be awesome. One at- more name I'll throw out there is M.J. Anderson, the defensive uh, the transfer from Minnesota, redshirt junior. He's 6'3", 275. So I think he's kind of in that same mold, too. And someone that they've said can really rush the passer as well from that other defensive end. So I think like all three, all four of those guys are guys that I would not be surprised at all to see them playing significant snaps at that position. Yeah. And it might be more, there might be more rotation Yeah, because like uh, 80% of Will McDonald is still better than a hundred percent of most other people, but 80% of Joey Peterson is probably not near as good as 100% of fill in the blank on somebody else. So you have, once you start seeing the production roll down a little bit at whether, you know, cause every once in a while they'll play like the one defense, but then they'll run in the the second team linebackers to give the one linebackers a break for a drive. And then they'll put the, the, you know, the number one safeties and the next drive, they put the number one linebackers in uh, the number two safeties and number one defensive line. And like they mix and match to get some like to for whole series to get guys out. So that series that contains the backups might be, you know, Joey Peterson for four snaps, Anderson for four snaps, and you might rotate more inside that backup one because again, a hundred percent of that person's great. But as soon as you get to 85% of that person, 100% of somebody else might be better than their 85%. You right. know what I mean? So it might mean that they're rotating a little bit more, but again, we, at this point, we don't know because we haven't seen enough. And I don't think we're going to like, we'll know some for the, the Southeast Missouri game, but we're going to know more after Iowa and after, I mean, even even through Ohio, because Iowa is such an anomaly that it's a huge rivalry game and they play a very different style. Like it's, it doesn't really match what you probably are going to see for the rest of the season. So like I bet through Ohio is by the time we get a good semblance of what everything is going to be as far as rotations are concerned. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about some of these different games that are on the schedule because we have not talked about that a whole lot here during the offseason. What do you want to see from them during that Southeast Missouri game? Like, what do you need to see from them to feel comfortable coming out of that game with what their their trajectory is? I I think there's there's two things. One is a a sharpness that we haven't seen in the first week because you know in in years past, obviously you go back the the Louisiana game just or not the Louisiana the uh Louisiana Monroe. And that was an awful game. They came out flat. They didn't execute the way, ne- the way they needed to. And they were clearly better than them. I mean, Louisiana Monroe is a good team, but Iowa State should have won that game by two touchdowns. But the it, Lafayette game, you mean? Yeah, sir. The no, the Lafayette yeah, Monroe's game is the one they they won by. In. I was saying I think a, they scored billion. seventy points. Yeah, 
whichever the the bad it was lafayette game. when they lost the right the COVID opener yeah to lafayette that one so you think that game then you think of the the you and i game that was you know the one last year where they had to scrape by and it was they just weren't sharp and now granted you don't expect to be firing on all cylinders week one but you also don't want to be making really stupid mental mistakes that are day one things, you know, like the things of making sure that you understand roughly your assignment. It's going to take a while for you to understand like how fast I need to get there and where my pace is and where is this receiver going to going to be specifically on this route? And where's there, like, there's going to be stuff like that. And that kind of should happen. That's why it's nice that you have SEMO and not you and I, but you, I still want to see them be sharper than they were before. And then the third thing is I want to see more energy than what they normally have in the past. Like their first few games, they always, I don't want to necessarily seem, say seem flat, but they seem tight, you know, like they have kind of the weight of expectation on their shoulders and they have to do it well. And I think that was sort of the personality of those guys. Cause you look at guys like Charlie and uh, Charlie and Brock and Brees and Mike and, you know, the guys that serve as the leaders of that team were all very like cool and collected, very, this is business. And you can feel that they put a lot of pressure on themselves to do it. Well, well, I don't think that, I think the leadership of this group, when you look at X, you look at Hunter Deckers, you look at guys like, uh, uh, Orion Vance, uh, Anthony Johnson. Like, I bet those are your guys that are your leaders and they have a much more kind of wild style, like, personality so i think this team can have will have a little bit more energy now granted campbell is still very this is business um but i want to see more energy like i want to see what the personality of this team is which i think is going to be more energetic so i want to see more a little bit more execution like sharper than they have been in in week ones and want to see a little bit more juice than they normally have had in week ones i think the thing that i would say that this stat that this team kind of airs is like a relaxed focused confidence you know like the leaders of the team don't seem like super intense people which i don't know if that's good or bad but do you get what i'm kind of saying like they're really relaxed like they've all got good personalities like guys that it's like you can see that their teammates would like want to be around you know not because they're hyper focused football weirdos but because they're like good guys and also really good football players you know mm-hmm. and i and not that like the guys in the past weren't good guys but i think that they were all i think that brock and charlie like were intense dudes you know and we're like guys that were really going to hold people to something you know and like we're going to do they're like we're going to do this the right way and it doesn't matter and nothing else matters just we're going to do it the right way and we're going to come in and do it the right way every day and these guys, it's like, it's not that they're like, we're not going to come in and do it the right way, but we're going to come in and do it. And we're going to have a lot of fun. You know, I, I don't know if that's the best way to put it. It's just like, I don't even know how to best explain it. These, these guys just all are more of characters than what I think some of these last leaders maybe have been. Yeah. And so I would fall more into the camp. Like when I played at, when I was 21, I fell more into the camp of like the, the Brock and Charlie and the Mike Rose, which is, I, this is, I have to do this right. Like this is, I'm, I'm going to focus on doing this right. And I don't really care what's going on because there is a right way to do this versus now you catch me in like a pickup game. I'm going to shit talk. Like it is, I'm going to make this fun. I still have the same attitude of this is work. I need to get this done, but I'm going to shit talk a little bit more. I'm going to make, I'm going to understand that I am having fun while it's going on. And I think they are more like my personality now versus my personality. when I was 20 and that's not to say one is better than the other. It's just that that's kind of the predominant thing. And so one of the things that is true about teams is that they will match the personalities of the leadership that they have, which is why, uh, you know, you look at the teams that are really like the Patriots, the Patriots, when they had Tom Brady and now the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, they match the personality of Tom Brady, which is hyper competitive, cut your throat to win the game and every detail matters. And that's kind of the attitude they have. And you see a lot of trash talk. You see a lot of stuff like that because that is Brady. So, but at the same time you can see though, man, one of the worst things that I think's happened to human society was Tom Brady getting on social media. Cause then it made him uh relatable. Human. Yeah. Made it him made him human. relatable. And it like, he's, it turns out he's like ridiculously funny, you know? Uh-huh. And you sit there and you're like, damn it. I don't want to, I, I hate, wanna... I hate Tom Brady so much. I want to hate him so much, but now it turns out he might actually be a cool guy, you it's know, too damn likable. Yeah. And that's what I feel like 
uh, and I think you, you hear stories even about guys like Peyton Manning, like they were so good at being really intense like that, but they also had a, a way of like keeping things light, you know, and making it not always feel like it's life and death. And that would be one thing, like in hindsight, I think looking back at last year, it felt like maybe some of those things got lost because of the pressure that was felt to live up to expectations. Yeah. I think, I think the weight of expectations, yeah, it crushed, you know, this is a, I'm going to shoehorn a CrossFit reference in here. So as at the CrossFit games last week and which is a super, it's really, really fun sport. It is the, it's the sport side of CrossFit in the same way that you can run a 5k for the Olympics and you're trying to run really fast. You're trying to strategize for that, or you can run a 5k for fun. So this is the 5k in the Olympics. And these guys are all really good. And one of the things they talked about, because you do everything is weightlifting, running, whatever the events. So if there's a person who comes, uh, there's like the, there's a guy who is from Brazil who is potentially going to be in the Olympic weightlifting team. He is really good at weightlifting. And they asked him, is it harder? Like, are you more stressed for events that have a barbell or are you more stressed for events that you know you're not very good at? And he said, I am 10 times more stressed for the ones that I'm expected to win because there's no room to hide. So like if it's a five mile run with a swim and something like that, and there, no one expects him. So he can do, he can just have fun in there because if he finishes 10th eh, not a big deal, but in an, a weightlifting event, everybody's looking at him and saying, you need to win this one. So he put, you feel that pressure on yourself. So it's not as fun, even though he's better and has a better chance to do better. So I think last season was that equivalent for the Iowa state team where they should do well, but because they should do well, it's more nerve wracking and it's more pressure because they should do well versus this year feels like the five mile run plus a swim for that guy. And so you have this, you have the chance to do well, but if you don't, and eh, no one's expecting you to do well anyway. So it, you, it feels like that just from, I mean, talking like you talking to the coaches and you talking to the players, it feels like the expectations are off of them and they're doing an event you know, again, the, that, that CrossFit games reference, they're doing an event. They're not expected to win. They still might win it, but no one's going to see them coming if they do. So they don't versus again, the, the team last year. So I don't know, like SEMO, hopefully they've gotten, they can have fun. They come out with a dip. Like you see the personality of the team and they come out sharp because what's coming after that, you can't not be sharp for that game. Mm-hmm. And I want, and I, I think, we're going to talk a lot about that Seahawks game. So it's like, I don't want to sit here and talk for an hour about, uh, about Iowa, Iowa state. But one thing that I think will be interesting going into this game is Iowa state for the first time in several years, will have a starting quarterback from the state of Iowa. What will Hunter Deckers be like going into Iowa city, going into Kinnick stadium to play in that game, knowing he's probably going to be pretty freaking juiced up, you know, like what kind of quarterback player are you going to get in Iowa city? And I think that could, he could either come out and that juice is like propels him to an insane day or could propel him to a really poor day. That's like what, that's what I think I'll be most interested in going into that game. That'll be my big question. Like on my mind that week, I think the advantage that Deckers has in the situation is that he played in the game last year and not in a tri- completely trivial moment. You know, they were, they were in a situation where technically speaking, they could have, I mean, a a lot of things had to have gone right, but he led that touchdown drive and he got put in the game with like nine minutes to play in the fourth quarter. So he was playing in a meaningful game. Now, granted the energy level of the crowd had gone down substantially by the time he got there. So it is going to be a different level of juice and a different significance, but he's already played in the Iowa Iowa state game. So you kind of lose the, the mystique of like, oh, this is way more important than any other game because you've already played in one and you go, okay, I mean, yeah, it is kind of more important because the people around me care more, but like on the field, it kind of is just the same. So I think that the advantage he has is that he will have that experience of having played in it in a meaningful time last year that he, it won't be just his first time, but counterpoint walking into Kinnick for that game is a totally different vibe. Like that is Kinnick for Iowa, Iowa State and Jack Trice for Iowa, Iowa State are the loudest stadiums that I was a part of. Bar none, not even close. And so you get all that noise, all that energy. They start doing the IOWA thing around the corner and it echoes in the stadium. Like that energy is 
it's a different level. So yeah, it's a I mean, snake pit, man. It's a snake pit. Like either either way you go, whether you're coming to Ames or you're coming to Iowa City in any of those games, whether it's men's basketball, women's basketball, or football, like that, it's a snake pit. It don't matter who you, what's going on, what yeah, so teams are like, you know, it's going to be a lot. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a lot for a quarterback making a second career career start. But that will be what's kind of on my mind going into that week. Uh, we don't need to talk about Ohio specifically because I'm going to go on a limb and say neither one of us knows anything about the Ohio Bobcats. But what do you have? What do, are is are you hoping Iowa State will have figured out by the time they get through that Ohio game and through the non-conference portion of their schedule? Well, I think I hope they have. Like I was talking about before, is the, I hope they have the rotations. Who they kind of have figured out who they want to be on the field as spell players because I think this staff does it different than a lot of staffs across the country. That if you are a player who's on the two deep, you're going to get 40 snaps pretty much regardless across the board, especially on defense. And so what, how, you know, if we're replacing our linebackers, can we afford to replace all three of them at the same time because our backups can hold their water? Or do we have to leave Orion out there with two backups so he can make sure everything's in the right spot? And so they have the rotations figured out that then they put in the next drive they put the backup for Orion plus the two other starters and you know, then whatever it is. So hopefully by the time they get through Ohio, they have who their rotations generally are because I mean, granted Kansas is next, so it's not like it's the best game, but Baylor Baylor is next. Sorry. Baylor's next. Um, So like that is going to be your toughest game because again, sorry, I was looking down the schedule a little bit, but you need to have it figured out for Baylor. Then you have a little bit of a break with Kansas and then back to Kansas state for another really tough game. So like hopefully by Ohio, they have the rotations figured out that they know whatever, who is going to be playing and when, and then they can kind of sharpen up everything by the time they get to Baylor. Yeah. That Baylor game will be interesting. Obviously they're the, the reigning conference champions and as they should be. Uh, and, yeah. and they, and they and the, should be the favorite and the favorites to, to repeat this season. Uh, Interesting with them, new quarterback, the guy that came in at the end of the Big 12 championship game and completed his first like 17 passes or something like that. Blake Shapin will be interesting to see how things come together around him. That Kansas State game, I think, is as intriguing of a game on Iowa State's schedule this season. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that the program, like, I don't think that that's, there's not much love lost there. We all know this with Kansas State. Kansas State's team is very interesting to me. We feel like they're going to be good on defense. We know what they got with Deuce Vaughn, but man, I've said it. I'm going to keep saying it. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say it. Adrian Martinez, I would never put anything in my life on him to not mess up in a close game. Like I'm just, I'll just be honest, you know, like and if it's a close game, when they come to Ames, I'll be sitting there waiting for Adrian Martinez to make a backbreaking mistake. And I, well, I cannot pick them to be a contender to win the league until I see him win some games and not do those things. Well, let me pull up Kansas state schedule. Cause I wonder, I don't, I would doubt that they have a really tough game in the first couple weeks of their season to be able to actually, they're and I don't come even to really, town. they're going to come to town. Adrian Martinez will be a Heisman candidate. Uh, Cause Kansas state is whatever, seven and oh, or six and one or something like that. Uh, and Adrian Martinez will be balling out and then he'll fumble with like, two minutes left at a crucial point in the game. Like I'm just calling this right now. I, I can see exactly how this is going to go. So their first games are South Dakota, Missouri, Tulane. They do play Oklahoma, but then they get tech and then Iowa state. So they have Oklahoma because Mizzou is, I think, okay. It's a rivalry game, but they're fine. And so the really border have... wars back. Hell yeah. So they, well, that's Kansas and Kansas or Kansas and Missouri. It's just oh. Kansas state. So it's like a auxiliary. Not real. Yeah. Not real. Yeah. Yeah. But they have so they would play Oklahoma, but the reason why I think this is going to be interesting is because no one plays the three three five. Baylor plays the three three five. Oklahoma State can dabble in it. They have the Oklahoma State as a weird defense. I don't know what Oklahoma is going to play. Venables. You would have to think they will run that mostly, don't you? Venable because Venables and came with Clemson yeah. came up here, so he might have a shot at seeing it against Oklahoma. But we don't know what necessarily their front's going to be. So there's a chance that. Seeing Oklahoma helps him for Iowa State, but Oklahoma might also run a different front because of the personnel they have. So I don't know. It, this will be at most be the second time he's ever seen this defensive style. Yeah, and this is going to be an environment and a speed at which he is going. He could be prone to make mistakes. So again, I don't know. I'm. Everyone's really picking 
Kansas State uh, to do this, to be a sleeper. But I just, again, I don't, I don't trust it. You know, like I just don't trust that it's actually going to be a thing. All right. I know you've got a, you've got some stuff you got to do. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap this thing up, but that last stretch of the schedule, those last five games, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma state, Texas tech, and TCU. Is there anything that really jumps out to you in that group? That's a hell of a finish. Yeah. I, the other, the thing that's different about this schedule is like, you look down, we have a pretty good idea what Baylor's going to be. Kansas should be better than they have been, but that's a really low bar to clear. They might pick off a couple teams here or there. If you don't mind your P's and Q's, you you know, mm-hmm. somewhere, Kansas might be good enough because they would, I mean, they had to replace like, they have like 30 transfers or something like that. So then you have Kansas State, who we know very little about. There's a potential, but they could also be bad. Texas, who we know very little about. They could be good. They could be bad. Oklahoma, probably going to be pretty good. West Virginia, no idea. Oklahoma State, probably going to be pretty good. Texas Tech, no idea. TCU, no idea. So like most of the conference, we're not going to have an idea which games are big games until you actually get five games into the season. And even then you're only playing two conference games. So the the back half of the season could be really important, but West Virginia could be bad. Tech could be bad and TCU could be bad or vice versa. West Virginia could be by the time you get there, you know, three or five and two or five and three or something like that. And they're really close to it. And, Oklahoma State's undefeated and Texas Tech is 500 or better and TCU's 500 or better. Like it might be good. So I don't know. The back half of the season's hard to tell. Interesting to me that Iowa State's got homecoming on November 5th after a home game. Homecoming. I don't know. I don't know how they determine that. It feels kind like they a, just pick it out of a hat. I say that one was that's kind of random. I, I one I would like to know when Iowa State's ever had no homecoming in November. I'm gonna guess that that doesn't happen very often. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting selection there. All right, man. You got any other things you want to throw out there about fall camp or anything before uh, we'll talk to you again next week? No, I think we'll just have a we'll have a much better idea going after next week than we will kind of now so i'm i'm excited to hear more as we get closer to game week only 12 days until the showdown from dublin ireland big noon kickoff between the cornhuskers and the northwestern wildcats what let's what's gauge your excitement level where are you at on a scale of one to ten for cornhuskers and wildcats in dublin ireland like a two (laughs) that's come on man these are two Two potential contenders for third place in the Big Ten West. <laughs> hey, if you I talked to a bunch of people, they have the same people who pick Texas to be good are picking Nebraska to win the Big Ten West. So I don't know. I I'm excited that there is a reasonably meaningful game that's this early in the season. So it's not like, and now we're gonna watch Alabama kick it off against the Citadel. Like it's not yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm I I'm excited for that. So my excitement level for the football season. 9.3 my excitement level for that game in particular it's a two and i don't know you haven't heard about oshawn mathis the new edge rusher for the huskers that's gonna propel him to the to the big 10 <laughs> title but uh i'm sure people have seen it by now best nil deal in the country is uh nebraska wide receiver decoldis crawford yeah with an with an hvac yeah. sponsorship Unfortunate deal. DeColdis got hurt uh, in like the next practice after they announced that deal, and I don't think he's going to play this year. So it's a little. So would you would you say he's uh, chilling now? Would you would you say he's chilling for the next year? This has been football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. That was actually pretty good. I will I'll give you that one. I'll give you your flowers for that one. That was good. All right, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Peace.